Brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian Fishers of Men. Um, We are not doing a podcast right now. We are doing the Book of Mormon series, and we are on episode two. This series has been really fun for me. Um, It's been one of those things uh, that's a really good excuse to dig in a lot further into the scriptures than I normally would. Um, kind of forces me to get into it, into the nitty gritty and to kind of just have some fun with it, but also to get quite a bit out of it. So we're on chapter two of first Nephi in the book of Mormon. You know, it's funny. I, I approach these sometimes and like a, like a moron, I, I approach it and I think, man, I wonder if there's enough like interesting stuff here like is there enough underneath the uh, under the, the the scriptural dirt here to to get us through a, a good podcast is there enough interesting stuff and man I just get I get humbled and blown away every time and the scriptures take me to school every time there is good stuff there's good stuff in everything even in in the Old Testament right in the old uh, Jewish law stuff there is stuff there that is to be to be found and understood. Um, I had a teacher that had a quote that said, boring people find things boring. <laughs> you know? And there's truth to that. There is truth to that. Um, let's go ahead and jump into this. Let's go ahead and get started here. we got a lot of ground to cover. A lot of good stuff to go over. We will, of course, be using the Book of Mormon Student Manual as well with some of our notes. We're going to take notes. We're going to highlight some stuff. Um, don't let me be your guide on that. Let the Spirit be your guide on that. I will give you some suggestions, but, but please do this on your own, whether it be in your physical sticks that you got, you know, your sticks of, of Judah and Ephraim, um, or if they be the, you know, the online stuff. I'm working off the online stuff right now, just for convenience as I, as I record, but don't sleep on those physical scriptures. Those are those are great, great ways to enhance your study. Um, let's go ahead and get into it. First Nephi chapter two. For behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, yea, even in a dream, and he said unto him, Blessed art thou, Lehi, because of the things which thou hast done, and because thou hast been faithful and declared unto this people the things which I commanded thee. Behold, they seek to take away thy life. So I highlighted that part right there. I highlighted they seek to take away thy life. I'm going to go ahead and suggest a cross-reference here. Okay? Now, in mine, I've written um, to the side of that that prophets are never popular. This is a trend. Prophets in their day are never appreciated, nor are they popular. It is only until after they're gone that they are really appreciated, uh, Moses included. This includes all the, the, the big dogs, right? So, if we go to Matthew chapter 23... And we do verses 29 through 37. Okay, I know it's a lot of verses, but it really does a great job at illustrating that fact, that that idea, that unfortunate fact that, that that's how things are. 
Matthew 23, 29 through 37. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets, and wise men, and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon them, or upon the earth from the blood of the of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy chicken or thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Very sobering. Now, we are meant to liken the scriptures unto ourselves, and that is something that we should highlight. And, and however you want to decorate that, um, like with caution tape or whatever, if you want to get some colored pencils out and do some caution tape, I think that would be entirely appropriate because we are watching that happen in our day. The same exact thing is happening in our day and it happens in every generation. And it's for some reason just a, it's, it's a very effective tool that the adversary has um, to use against the Lord's people. For some reason, the Lord's anointed are not appreciated until they're dead and buried and gone, and their message is, is now a message from the dust, right? Okay, it's, it's just, we all need to be extremely careful about that, and Lehi is no different. Lehi was not appreciated. His message was not appreciated um, until he was gone. You know, he probably felt like a failure, to be honest. When you think about it, he probably felt like a failure, you know, um, contemporary with Jeremiah. But it was the same thing with Jeremiah as well. Like, it's just, we can see both examples as to these guys were not... They were not looked upon kindly by those who they were tasked with delivering the message to. And they were abused and and ridiculed and did not have a very good time of it, I am sure. Okay, let's go to verse 2 here. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. Okay. So, the Lord knew, brothers and sisters, 
the, the, the Lord knew that they weren't going to accept the message of Lehi. He knew that they weren't going to accept the message of Jeremiah, right? Even, even knowing that, even having that foreknowledge that they would not accept, Jehovah still tried. He still had to do his due diligence. He still had to put forth the effort and risk the life of his his dedicated servants, his prophets, the ones who were actually listening, who were dedicated to him. That's very, very incredible to me when you think about it. And that is the dedication of a just and true God. Also, the fact that... Um, that Lehi, you know, we know, I, I think it sometimes gets a, a little bit lost in, in as we're just kind of reading along here, but Lehi was a man of, of a lot of property. He probably had a lot of land. He probably had, well, we know he had gold and silver and precious stuff. He was a wealthy man. And think about what the Lord is asking him to do. Now, obviously, the Lord knows what's about to happen to Jerusalem. It's going to be spoiled. And Babylon is going to take all of that good stuff and just just pillage the place, right? So this, Lehi's on borrowed time here. But as a mortal in that situation, you don't really know that. You're having to trust and have faith that what the Lord is telling you in these visions, in these dreams, are true. And so he receives a commandment from the Lord that he is to abandon everything. Abandon your house. Abandon servants. Abandon income. Abandon all of your wealth. All of your material possessions. Abandon it all. And what does he take? Take your family. Take your family. President Nelson said, think celestial. Lehi was willing right here to think celestial. He took his family and departed into the wilderness. Okay. Verse 3. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord, wherefore he did as the Lord commanded him. Okay. No questions asked. He did it. Uh, verse 4. And it came to pass that he departed into the wilderness, and he left his house, and the land of his inheritance, and his gold, and his silver, and his precious things, and took nothing with him save it were his family, and provisions, and tents, and departed into the wilderness. That would be hard. You know, I, I know we, we, we covered this, but it's it blows my mind. Just the just, Let's just let alone all the property and stuff like that. Sleeping in a bed, a comfortable bed, and then having to go out and probably sleep on the ground. That doesn't sound fun to me. That's not something that Alan wants to do. <laughs> you know, sleeping on an army cot is, is about as close as I get to that nowadays. I have to have my army cot with me at least, but it's just, that blows my mind. Um, let's go to verse 5. And he came down by the borders near the seashore, 
of the Red Sea. And this is the same Red Sea that Moses parted, right? And he traveled in the wilderness in the borders, which are nearer the Red Sea. And he did travel in the wilderness with his family, which consisted of my mother, Sariah, and my elder brothers, who were Laman, Lemuel, and Sam. Okay, so Nephi is the youngest brother at this point, right? Uh, go to verse 6 here. And it came to pass that when he had traveled three days in the wilderness, he pitched his tent in a valley by the side of a river of water. Okay. So, this is where we can start to, to dig in a little bit, okay? Now, these seem, in our Western mindset, we read this like we're reading a novel, right? Like we're reading a story, and it reads like a story. It totally works like that. However... We need to look deeper at some of this stuff. Now, you can look at, at, at the symbolism, okay? We're looking at three days. It mentions three days in the wilderness, okay? It mentions a valley. It mentions a, a, a river of water. All of these things are very symbolic. And to me, this is further proof of the authenticity and truthfulness of the Book of Mormon because we will get extraordinarily Hebrew uh, symbolism. Extraordinary he Hebrew symbolism from these passages that are well below the surface of the scriptural dirt here, brothers and sisters. And if you dig into stuff like this, you will find Hebrew stuff. <laughs> this this doesn't just happen. You can't put stuff like this together. Like, there's no way. There's no way. It, it just doesn't work. There's there's so much here that is just dripping, dripping with symbolism that an 1800s dude could not put together with no education, even with education, in the amount of time that he had, this is like, it's incredible to me. It just, I can't say enough about it. It absolutely blows me away. Okay, let, let's get into the symbolism of these few things that I've mentioned here. Okay, so it says three days. Okay, the number three, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation on all this Hebrew stuff, so just forewarning you, I'll do the best I can, but I'm going to butcher it. Okay, uh, the number three, or shilash, or shilasha, okay, it means harmony, new life, and completeness, okay? Now think about that. Think about that in connection with, with the story now, because we're reading it like a story, of course, but now we come across this, this three days Okay, it specifically calls it out and says, hey, we were in the wilderness for three days. Okay. Lehi was in harmony with Jehovah. Okay, his family was in harmony with Jehovah. He, he was obeying the commandments of Jehovah. Okay, and this was going to be the beginning of a new life for the family of Lehi. Okay. And he also followed the commandments with exactness, okay? It was complete. He completely 
obeyed the commandment of Jehovah, okay? And thus we see the symbolism of the three days in, in the, the Hebrew, okay? Beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. Um, let's go to the, to the word, the Hebrew word that they use for wilderness traditionally, and I'm using a lot of Bible parallels here. Uh, the word ba midbar is translated as in the wilderness or in the desert, but the word itself comes from the Hebrew root, uh, which is a word I can't pronounce, which means to speak. Okay. So what's the what's the? I want you to think about this here. What is the message of of the wilderness here? If we know that it comes from uh, biblically, it comes from a, a root word which means to speak. Okay. Think about that for a minute. So as Lehi comes into the wilderness with his family, okay, starting this three days symbolism of having harmony with Jehovah, of, of new life, of completeness, and then knowing the, the parallel symbolism in the Bible with, with the wilderness, uh, meaning to speak, okay? How many times did the Lord speak to Lehi in the wilderness? Interesting thought experiment, isn't it? There's a lot to garner from this stuff, brothers and sisters. There's a deeper message here, okay? Now when we look at the valley, look at the symbolism of a valley, okay? Valleys are really cool because they can serve multiple uh, symbolic meanings. Now this is going to foreshadow... I love this. I get so excited about this because the the Hebrew symbolism is foreshadowing the journey of Lehi through the wilderness. Okay, verse 6 is a foreshadow that you would completely pass by if you're not paying attention. Okay, so we go here to, to the meaning of valleys, like traditional biblical meanings of valleys, right? And in, in the Bible, valleys are often, um, they're, they're a metaphor for difficult times, for, for discouragement, for despair, for darkness, um, really for almost like a testing period, right? For a, it really is just a, I think the difficult times is probably the best way to put it, um, as far as metaphors go, okay? So... He pitched his tent in a valley, in the wilderness, okay? He's, he's, he's setting up, or verse 6, excuse me, is setting up the fact that Lehi is about to go through a tough period of time, okay? This is not going to be easy. This is not something, they probably didn't even know what to expect, but they're going through this period where... They're going to go through this tough time, but they're going to receive the word of Jehovah. They're going to be spoken to by Jehovah, but it's not going to be easy. You know what I mean? That's that's the idea that I'm getting here from verse 6, okay? Uh, let's go to my next note.
Okay, so he goes the side of a river of water. Okay. And then verse 7. And it came to pass that he built an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord our God. Okay. Now, it's really fun to do this. And you can see we're, we're, we're getting more instruction from the scriptures by digging in this way. You know what I'm saying? We're not approaching it like a novel, although we're going to utilize that that story, that that novelization of the story. We're using that. However, as we're doing that, we're looking. We're on the lookout for symbolism, for Hebrew stuff, for parallels in the Bible that we can draw from. And we will pick up so much more stuff from by doing that from these scriptures, and we're going to receive hidden stuff that the Lord would have you know. This is what it's all about. When you put in the effort to learn this stuff, you will be blessed with incredible knowledge that nobody is looking at. And it's there for everybody. It's there. 110% there for everybody. I'm not special. I'm not a genius. I'm as average Joe as it comes. And all I did was Google, you know, a lot of stuff. You, you use Google, use the Bible, and those two things together, right? Use the Book of Mormon student manual, and you will come out with a lot of stuff. And it just is a huge blessing. Okay, verse 7. I wrote in my notes here, Turn to God in hard times. Sacrifice is a celebration of life or recognition of its divine and imperishable nature. In the sacrifice, the consecrated life of an offering is liberated as a sacred potency that establishes a bond between the sacrificer and the sacred power. Okay, that's from the Britannica.com. Interesting. Interesting, okay? When we think about sacrifice in, in that way. Now let's look at uh, the stone, okay? It says that he used an altar of stones. Okay. The bet combined with the nun means son in Hebrew or Jesus Christ. Okay, very interesting. This is the, the, the Hebrew word for stone, okay? Hence, stone in Hebrew means the father and the son. So when we are told in the New Testament... Uh, like in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, to build our house on a rock and not sand. Okay, what, we're, what it's saying there, guys, is we should build them on a foundation made up of the Father and the Son. Okay, going go to that parable of building your house upon a rock. Okay, just like the primary song says. But when we apply that to this new knowledge that we have, okay, when we when we apply that to the stones, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but they were they were commanded to not to not create their own altar out of hewn stone and stuff like it. They they weren't allowed to lay tools on it and stuff like that to like bricks and 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 that kind of jazz. 
it was meant to be used with things that were natural, right? And when you think about it that way, okay, so Lehi takes and he, he takes all these stones and puts it together, and then understanding the symbolism, okay, the symbolism of the sacrifice, um, the symbolism of the stones used in the sacrifice, okay, we come across with some deeper stuff here, don't we? Um, the Hebrew verb for giving thanks is yadah. Frequently, it also means to confess, okay? And, and, and rightly so, because in the Old Testament, when Israel thanks God, often that thanksgiving consists of confessing in detail exactly what he's done and continues to do for his people, okay? There's confess, confessing things that happen here in, in, you know, happening with the sacrifice and it's a thing of thanksgiving. It totally fits. Like, you couldn't make this fit any better into ancient Israeli custom and, and Hebrew stuff. Like, this is, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And goes along with the story as well. Like, the symbolism is going along with the story, and that is so hard to plan out if you're writing a book or something like that. Again, authenticity of the Book of Mormon is just proven over and over and over, okay? Uh, let's go to verse 8. And it came to pass that he called the name of the river Laman, and it emptied into the Red Sea, okay? So, you can get some stuff out of this as well. When you look at rivers, um, the, uh, talking about the sea, okay? Now, it's calling this sea out by name as the Red Sea. But, look at the next part here of verse 8. And the valley was in the borders near the mouth thereof, okay? So, the valley was in the borders near the mouth of the river, okay, that emptied into the Red Sea. Now, biblical, uh, the, the biblical metaphor that, that is used for sea, okay, is typically talking about the nations of the world, okay? So, he called the river, the name of the river, Laman. And then we understand that traditionally that the sea, okay, so he's, Lehi would be looking at the Red Sea, he'd be saying, okay, he understands that the sea is a metaphor for the nations of the world, okay? Uh, let's go to verse 9. Just just keep that in mind as we go forward here. I'm just kind of leaving breadcrumbs every once in a while here too as, as we go. And when my father saw, verse 9, And when my father saw that the waters of the river emptied into the fountain of the Red Sea, he spake unto Laman, saying, O oh, that thou mightest be like unto this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. And he also spake unto Lemuel, Oh, that thou mightest be like unto this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Okay? Now, 
we go to the Book of Mormon student manual, and we get some some insight uh, from from President Nelson, who was then Elder, uh, or excuse me, excuse me, Elder Ballard, not Elder Nelson. Elder Ballard of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles counseled us to make sure our prayers are filled with humility and thankfulness. I often hear people say, I told the Lord this, or I told the Lord that. Be careful not to tell him, but rather to humbly seek and ask your Father, your Heavenly Father, for guidance and direction. Prayer should be yearning and filled with gratitude. Okay? Very important to remember that, and totally goes hand in hand with what with the symbolism that we're seeing here. Offering, you know, offering a sacrifice in the spirit of thanksgiving and confessing your your sins on an altar uh, made in the traditional, uh, you know, traditional Hebrew fashion or or the fashion after the after the children of Israel, not hewn stone, but stones. You know, just gathered up from the area and and put together, being very symbolic of the Father and the Son. Just super cool stuff. Definitely goes back to Adam and Eve, and stuff that we learn in the temple. Um. Man, there's just so much good stuff here. Like I don't know if you can tell, but I get really excited about this stuff. There's more that you could glean from this, but I'm not going I'm purposely going to hold back here. I want you guys to look into, okay, this is this is a little bit of homework. When you get a minute or on Sunday or whatever, okay, look at verse 9. And when my father saw that the waters of the river emptied into the fountain of the Red Sea, he spake unto Laman saying, okay, and then he, he tells Laman, look at the symbolism of that. Okay? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, I, I have it written down, but I'm not going to tell you. I want you guys to, to figure that out. What is the symbolism of the river emptying into the fountain of the Red Sea? Okay, figure that out um, and write it down in your scriptures. Or write it down in your notes or whatever. Okay, capture that. Capture that knowledge and keep it. Teach it to your kids, whatever, but capture that. There, There's symbolism there, okay? But I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> okay. Let's go to verse 11. Now this he spake because of the stiff-neckedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things against their father because he was a visionary man and had led them out of the land of Jerusalem to leave the land of their inheritance and their gold and their silver and their precious things to perish in the wilderness and this they said he had done because of the foolish imaginations of his heart okay so we see here Laman and Lemuel are not thinking celestial <laughs> okay they are not thinking celestial and they are very much um, their hearts are like, they don't have a cottage in Babylon. They are living in Babylon. They are thinking about their inheritance, okay? Especially Laman being the oldest brother. He, he was the one to stand to lose the most out of the children from this deal because he was the eldest. He would have inherited the largest portion 
of his father's possessions. Uh, gold, silver, all that good stuff, okay? Land, whatever. Um, we see that that they are obviously not happy about this, about having to give all of that up, and it shows where their mind is. And it is not on the celestial. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and go to verse 12. Oh, oh, and also with verse 11, we see that there is a... A contempt for their dad. There's a contempt for their father. They are not honoring their father, okay, and their mother as well, because their mom went along with this. Okay, they were a team. Verse twelve. And thus Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur. Now it's saying that word again, murmur, okay, against their father, and they did murmur. There it is a, another time, three times. Because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Now that's that's an interesting that's a very interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? Okay. It says that because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Okay. Let's let's take a look at let, let's write a cross reference here in our scriptures. Let's write uh, John chapter sixteen. Let's start with verse one here. So write that down or type it in, whatever. Okay. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. Now that's pretty interesting, isn't it? It gives us a little bit of, of more of a picture here into into the state or the the state of mind I should say of Laman and Lemuel, okay? When your heart isn't set on God and things of of a better, as Elder um I believe it was Elder Ballard that said that. I can't remember if it was Ballard or if anyway. One of the big dogs said that. He said, keep, you know, keep your heart on the things of the better. And when you do that, you're okay to give up things of this world. But when you are keeping your heart on things of this world, when you're worried about things that don't matter, okay, and you don't know Father, you don't know the Father, you don't know the Son, okay? There's there's implications here. And I really like the fact that John chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, gives us a window into that, okay? Because not only in the Book of Mormon it says that it's talking about the God 
that they, they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Okay. John specifically calls out the fact that they hey they don't know the they had they don't know the Father they haven't known the Father and they don't know me. Okay. Now the implications of that, especially Christ being the the the, the Mashiach, okay, the the promised Mashiach, the the anointed one, okay, him showing up in the meridian of time to his people, he being the promised Messiah, okay, their king, their rightful the rightful heir to the throne of David, okay, he's showing up, and them not recognizing him, but only a few. Okay, sets up an, a, a deeper understanding as to the state of Laman and Lemuel. Okay, because we're seeing that they are in the same state as the rest of the uh, of their brethren who are staying at Jerusalem. Okay, in their hearts they have stayed at Jerusalem. Their hearts are still in Jerusalem. Okay, you can take the 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 layman and Lemuel out of Jerusalem, but you can't take the Jerusalem out of Laman and Lemuel's hearts. Okay, <laughs> that's where they're at, and they are not. They, they they do not know the Father. They do not know the Son. They they do not know uh, uh, Jehovah. Okay, they do not know Him. And I think knowing the fact, knowing what we know about about the altar, the stones, the symbolism, okay? They, they, we, we can say that they have built their foundation upon a foundation of sand. It has not been built upon the Father and the Son. It has not been built upon Jehovah. And because of this, we ultimately know what happens to them, okay? We, we know. But again, we got some foreshadowing here. And it's very Hebrew. Very Hebrew, okay? Uh, let's go to verse 13. Neither did they believe that Jerusalem, that great city, could be destroyed, according to the words of the prophets. And they were like unto the Jews who were at Jerusalem, who sought to take away the life of my father. Okay. So, Interesting. Interesting thing that's very easy to miss in verse 13. He says they didn't believe. Okay? They didn't believe. If we go to the um, cross-reference there that it provides us, uh, the word believe, Ezekiel 5, 6, And she hath changed my judgments into wickedness more than the nations. Okay, talking about the nations of the world. And my... He's, he's talking about Israel, okay? And my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have refused my judgments and my statutes. They have not walked in them. Okay. Again, we're getting a very, a very interesting uh, view of Laman and Lemuel and their, their hearts and where they stand. They're just like the Jews who were at Jerusalem. Okay. Who, interestingly enough... We're seeing the word uh, prophets, okay, plural with an S. The great city of Jerusalem could be destroyed according to the word of the prophets, okay? Not just according to Dad's word, you know, old, old Father Lehi here, but all of them, 
okay, they weren't just not believing Lehi, their dad, their crazy visionary dad, okay, they weren't believing all the other prophets, including Jeremiah. Didn't believe Jeremiah, okay? Didn't believe all the other prophets that it mentions in Jeremiah that were that God had sent to spread this same message, of which Lehi was only but one, okay? So in the mouth of many, many witnesses was the word of Jehovah established, but Laman and Lemuel did not believe it, okay? You start to get a sense as to kind of the the danger that it is to be to have somebody or or multiple people like that in your camp, and it makes the it gives me anxiety when I read it and I understand that, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean we we know how the story goes, but I'm reading that and I'm going, this is more than what I I learned in the Living Scriptures uh, cartoons or you know the animated Scriptures cartoons and stuff like that. Like, this is pretty intense. It's actually really intense when you understand the state of, of being and, and the hearts of Laman and Lemuel, okay? They were literally, as it says here, they were like the other Jews in Jerusalem who sought to take away the life of my father. That's a very powerful statement. Okay, Laman and Lemuel had some murder in their hearts even at this time. That seed was there, okay? That seed was there. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. I, I, get, I get going on this stuff, and then I don't shut up. Okay, verse 14. And it came to pass that my father did speak unto them in the valley of Lemuel with power, being filled with the Spirit until their frames did shake before them. And he did confound them that they durst not utter against them, against him. Wherefore they did as he commanded them. Okay. Any time that you have to resort, and this is coming from an army guy, okay. The 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 whole you're gonna do what I say because I said to do it, that works to a point. But after a while, people grow up, right? Kids grow up, and you can't you can't convince people that way anymore. It doesn't work. You know what I mean? And Laman and Lemuel being in the in the state of mind that they are in, like they they aren't able to be reasoned with. And so the only other option is for the Lord to kind of step in and and back up the words of Lehi, right? So as as Lehi speaks, he's using his prophetic mantle using the power gifted by that uh, from Jehovah. And it's so much, like it's so um, irrefutable that it causes them to shake. And we've seen that before in Scripture, in the Book of Mormon, actually. We've seen that same exact thing happen to where the message is so powerful that it causes the, the opposing party to shake, okay? Um, I believe it was Zeezrom when he was arguing against Alma and Amulek, okay? He began to shake, and he actually ended up converting. He, he wound up being a missionary with them. But Zeezrom had the same thing happen to him. He, 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 he caused him to shake because it was so powerful. So, again, you know, and I don't want to harp too much on Laman and Lemuel, but 
look at all these things that are happening to where it's it's irrefutable proof and it's witness after witness after witness as to what their father is saying is true and they still turn against it in the end it just blows my mind it, it blows me away okay verse 15 and my father dwelt in a tent okay let's go to the book of mormon student manual let's go to the book of mormon student manual Uh, one reason Satan encourages murmuring is to prevent us from following living prophets, inspired leaders, and parents. Okay. Very interesting, isn't it? Elder H. Ross Workman of the Seventy explained that murmuring consists of three steps, each leading to the next, in this descending path to disobedience. First, when people murmur, they begin to question they question first in their own minds and then plant questions in the minds of others. Second, those who murmur begin to rationalize and excuse themselves from doing what they have been instructed to do. Thus, they make an excuse for disobedience. Their excuses lead to the third step, slothfulness in following the commandments. The Lord has spoken against this attitude in our day. But he that doeth not anything until he is commanded, and receiveth a commandment with doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. Okay, for reference, that's D&C 58.29. You should write that in your scriptures. Um, Cross-reference it. I invite you to focus on the commandments from the living prophets, that br that bothers you the most. It's an interesting invitation, isn't it? I invite you to focus on the commandment from living prophets that bothers you the most. Do you question whether the commandment is applicable to you? Do you find ready excuses why you cannot now comply with the commandment? Do you feel frustrated or irritated with those who remind you of the commandment? Are you slothful in keeping it? Beware of the deception of the adversary. Beware of murmuring. Wow. Pretty dang intense, okay? Pretty dang intense. It kind of summarizes everything that we've gone over in the past couple verses here. That's a really good way to end that segment of those verses. Um, slippery slope. Slippery slope, okay? Very slippery slope. Let's move on here. Uh, verse 16. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God. Okay, let's pause there for a minute. Let's pause there. We get, uh, j just like we got a window into the, into the, um, the mind, the heart of Laman and Lemuel, we're going to get a window into the heart and the mind of Nephi as well, okay? So right off the get-go, he's a dude who's large in stature, okay? I like to think of him as like a, like a big uh, wrestler or football player or something like that, okay? Um, but the most important part of that is that knowing that he had desires, his, even at this young age, now I don't know how old he was, 
we don't know. But at a young age, okay, this is the type of guy that had desires to know of the mysteries of God, okay? The mysteries of God. That's pretty intense language right there, right? The mysteries of God. A lot of people use this as an excuse to go way off into left field about stuff, okay? The mysteries of God is what we're doing right now, brothers and sisters. It's understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the mysteries of godliness are. Like, understanding the gospel is understanding those mysteries. That's why there's so many layers to, to, to these things. Like, we can go through and we can novel read the Book of Mormon, and we will get good spiritual stuff out of it. We will get good spiritual milk from that. We'll be nourished. Our spirits will be nourished. But if we do like we're doing now, we're diving in, we're, we're digging into the mysteries right now, okay? If, if, if you do this with the Doctrine and Covenants, if you do this with the Pearl of Great Price, with the Old Testament, oh, the Old Testament, don't get me started, okay? The New Testament, you will get mysteries. You will understand mysteries of God. And you'll be able to treasure up these Pearls of Great Price, um... They are so cool. They're they're incredible to know. And I'm you know, th this is my journey in life. I want to know this stuff as well. And I'm not putting myself up with Nephi. I'm nowhere near that. You know what I mean? But in my own path, in my lane that I'm traveling in, okay, this is the stuff I want to know. I want to understand the the deeper meaning behind these verses. What is it? What is it? What is what do I need to know from this? What does Alan need to know from this? What do you need to know from this? Okay, The mysteries of God. This is the state of mind that Nephi was in. He was wanting to understand what God wanted him to do and the words of the prophets, the deeper meaning behind all this stuff. Okay, So that's the state of mind that, that Nephi is in. It's where his heart's at. Uh, Wherefore, I did cry unto the Lord... Okay, powerful statement. He didn't just have a casual conversation. He didn't have a sleepy uh, session where he knelt down to say his nighttime prayers and he fell asleep halfway through or his mind drifted off onto how he was going to take Sam's, you know, finger and uh, and make him wet the, the, the sheets, right? Or anything like that. He was, okay, he, he, his heart was set on this, okay? And his his mind was set on this, and he wanted to understand. Okay, he he wanted to have a conversation with Jehovah. And behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. Okay. I love that because it shows. It shows that Nephi was not in alignment. Okay? I love that fact. Nephi was not in alignment with what Lehi was telling them to do. He didn't want to do it. He was not in alignment. Okay? Don't sleep on that fact. So what did Nephi do to bring himself into alignment? Did he approach the Lord saying, I know that uh, Dad is wrong, he's an idiot, uh, just tell me where he's wrong, 
tell me how to how to argue with him on this, and uh, we'll we'll go from there. Thanks, by the way. Thanks, thanks, Jehovah. Okay, no, not how it goes. Nephi's heart was in the right place. He wanted to understand the mysteries of God. Okay, so what did he do? He asked. He showed up and said, "Lord, tell me, tell me what's going on here. Please reveal yourself to me." Okay, and the Lord did reveal him to himself to him, and he softened his heart. And the message of that prayer was, your dad's right. Okay, your dad's a prophet, and you know that. You know your dad's a prophet. And he's right, by the way. Okay. It's incredible what the Lord can do and how he can soften your heart. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. A lot of people left the church over this. Okay. People I know personally left the church over this. I remember when President Nelson came out and said, Guys, I don't want you to carry a gun on church property. In, in our meeting houses, uh, please, unless you're an, uh, an officer, you know, an LEO officer or whatever, on duty, uh, please don't carry a gun. I heard people say that he was a globalist, that he was, uh, you know, this, that, and the other and stuff. And I, in my mind, said... Well, I'm going to carry a gun anyway. <laughs> I wish that I, you know, I, I went more layman and Lemuel route in that moment. Um, I, I typically have a sidearm on my hip if I am out of the house, okay? And I am typically not more than two feet away from a, from a sidearm or a firearm of some kind. That's how I live my life, you know what I mean? Something that's important to me. I am a Second Amend Amendment dude. I am very conservative. Okay, I'm a veteran. Been through the police academy, all this stuff. I believe in the right to keep and bear arms and to protect myself and my family in a sheepdog fashion. Okay, And my first thing was, I'm going to do it anyway. And there was a very wise person, because uh, we were having this talk about this. Some of us were struggling with it. There's a very wise dude who I was talking to, and um, his name's Justin. So, if Justin, if you listen, a shout out to you, brother. But he um, he said, "Guys, this is the prophet. Like, you're just going to disobey, just blatantly disobey." And Alan had to do a gut check in that moment because. This was cultural Allen winning out against, like, the, the true disciple of Jesus Christ, Allen, which was losing that, that battle in that moment, okay? I had to go home, and I took it to prayer, and I knelt down, and uh, I prayed about it. And this probably seems like kind of a stupid little thing, but to me it was a big deal. I, I wrestled, and I prayed about that. And in the end, I was led towards the, the answer of, is he a prophet or is he not a prophet? It all kind of hinges on that. And uh, 
I know that he's a prophet. I know that he's a prophet. And so because of that, having that knowledge and then receiving an answer like that, a knowledge that that he, he was indeed a prophet and that he speaks to God, he receives revelation. Is he a, a man? Yes. Is he uh, capable of making mistakes? Yes. Okay. But this was an official, like, I couldn't argue that this was an official thing from, from the prophet. This was an official statement. And as such, I was now put in a position of obey or disobey. And I told the Lord, I made a covenant with the Lord and said, Okay, I will obey. I will obey the mouthpiece. And then I went to the group of friends that I was speaking with after the very next day, and I said, Guys, I was wrong. I should not have... Um, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I was murmuring, right? I told them, guys, I shouldn't have murmured, and I should not have encouraged you guys to to go against the will of the prophet. And I just want you to know that I will be, I will be abiding by what the prophet has asked. And they were good enough group of guys, you know, that um, that they just it was more. It was like, hey, that's great, dude. Like, yeah, that it wasn't. Uh, you know, make fun of Alan because he was a rebellious layman and Lemuel in that moment. It was a, hey, good on you. Good on you for, for, you know, coming to that conclusion, wrestling with it yourself. So anyway, not to go too far down that, that story, but I think that we all have that, you know, we're all presented with that, just like Nephi was here. And it makes me it makes me a lot more able to identify with Nephi because he did not have an easy time of aligning himself with what Lehi, ultimately with what Jehovah was asking him to do. But he took it, he wrestled with it and took it before the Lord and he was given the answer as to what he should do, right? Um he didn't rebel like unto his brothers, right? And it reminds me of a scripture, and I'd like you to put this in your cross-reference here. Um, just write, when thou art converted, dot, dot, dot. And then Luke chapter 22, verse 32. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Okay, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm sharing that story with you guys. That's why I'm sharing my thoughts and my notes on the scriptures. Because I want to strengthen my brothers and sisters. I want to, as I say every episode, you know, I want to raise my voice in support of the Savior, in support of the plan of salvation as I hope I did in the pre-existence. That's what it's all about. When you are converted, strengthen your your brethren. Okay. 
And to illustrate that point, we go to verse 17. And I, this is Nephi, and I spake unto Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested unto me by his Holy Spirit. And it came to pass that he believed in my words. But behold, Laman and Lemuel would not hearken unto my words, and being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, I cried unto the Lord for them. Okay, now, I don't know how far apart uh, these four brothers were. I grew up, uh, my, my two older brothers are 12 and 11 years older than me. Um, and I, I love my brothers. I love them to death. But th that, that's such a big age gap. as to, Like it made it so that it was just different. We were going through different stuff at different times of life. You know what I mean? When they were getting off their missions, I was, I was a, being, becoming a deacon and stuff like that. It's just how it was. These guys, I would imagine, were probably a lot closer in age. They were probably pretty dang close in age. Maybe even have like like just fourteen months apart. I don't I don't know. You know what I mean. But these guys would have been pretty dang close in age. I would imagine. And you can see like like I grew up um, with a family that was like that, where there were a group of five boys and they were all relatively close in age. And I uh, to this day, you know, I I. I still have a very close affinity and affiliation with this family. You know, they they mean a lot to me, and I consider them family because I was the same age as as one of their boys, and I just got lumped in with them. And those brothers, like they are to this day, they are all extremely close, uh, and I'm extremely close with all of them. And so I think about this when I read First Nephi. When I, when I read this story, that's who I think of. A group of brothers who were extraordinarily close. Uh, who, who are buddies. You know what I mean? Who uh, The older brothers would, of course, beat us up and beat on us and stuff and wrestle around with us and stuff. And, you know, we, we look at, at now and we absolutely love those stories. We have good stories to tell. We laugh about it and stuff. You know what I mean? It's just that's what it's all about. But looking at that, thinking about that, and then thinking of, of Nephi probably excited to share this with his brothers and then probably getting slapped down. You know, he has this incredible spiritual awakening and moment and it is pearls before swine with Laman and Lemuel it just makes you feel for him a little bit um, verse 19 and it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me saying blessed art thou Nephi because of thy faith for thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart okay to the right of verse 19 I wrote uh, recipe Okay, that is the recipe. That is the recipe for approaching God. Okay? Faith, diligence, and loneliness of heart. That is the recipe for approaching God. Verse 20. 
And inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper, and ye shall be led into a land of promise. Yea, even a land which I have prepared for you. Yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. Okay. Let's go to the Book of Mormon Student Manual. Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles observed that the Scriptures promise 34 times that people will prosper in the land only if they obey the commandments of God. In the Scriptures, the meaning of the word prosperity may also have other meanings not restricted to financial benefits. Further prospering doesn't mean that life will be free from trials. Okay, I think the whole book of Nephi illustrates that very well. Uh, Lehi and his family, and his faithful family, members kept the commandments, but they still suffered many afflictions. President Joseph F. Smith taught that a person who keeps the commandments... Wow, I, I scrolled and I completely lost where I was. Oh... A uh, person who keeps the commandments will be sustained and prospered by the Lord. The man who stays with the kingdom of God, the man who is true to this people, the man who keeps himself pure and unspotted from the world is the man that God will accept, that God will uphold, that he will sustain, and that will prosper in the land, whether he be in the enjoyment of his liberty or be confined in prison cells. It makes no difference where he is. He will come out all right. That's a powerful statement. That's a very powerful statement, okay? I really like that. I really like that. And I think that this goes along with the um this goes along with the the regular podcast episode that I just released talking about what it takes for us to be able to to be prospered upon this land and what it takes for the people of Israel to be prospered on their land. It's a strict adherence to the gospel. It's a strict adherence um, to the commandments. Let's go ahead and go to verse 21. And inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Pretty interesting. Now, he writes here, this isn't, a lot of times when we read this, verse 21, we, we read it as the Lord talking about himself, inasmuch as, the, as the, thy brethren rebel against me, but he doesn't. He says, and inasmuch as thy brethren shall rebel against thee, against you, Nephi, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Why is that? Why is that? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 explains this verse, gives us little bit of uh, of insight okay so go ahead and write that into the side of verse 21 but basically before that before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee and before thou camest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee 
and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Okay. Nephi was ordained to be a prophet, to be the spiritual leader, the successor to Lehi. Okay. That is why the Lord is telling is telling him that inasmuch as your brethren shall rebel against you, the prophet that I'm going to have set up, if they do that, they'll be cut off from the presence of the Lord. So what's the implication there, brothers and sisters? How do you cut people off from the presence of the Lord? Why did we have a... Uh, why did we have a, a dark age in history? The dark ages, right? Why was there a great apostasy? What caused that? Being cut off from the presence of the Lord was the result of being cut off from the presence of the brethren of the time being cut off from the presence of the mouthpiece of the living mouthpiece very strong implication there in verse 21 very strong implication and there's a promise that goes along with that okay now we're supposed to liken the scriptures to ourselves let's liken this one to us especially in this at this time uh, verse 22 and inasmuch as thou shalt keep my commandments, thou shalt be made a ruler and a teacher over thy brethren. For behold, in that day that they shall rebel against me, I will curse them, even with a sore curse, that they shall have no power over thy seed, except they shall rebel against me also. And if it so be that they rebel against me, they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in the ways of remembrance. This is a covenant, brothers and sisters. Now, I didn't do this, but I'm going to right now. Highlight 21 through 24. Okay. And to the, to the right of it, or whatever, write covenant. Covenant with Nephi. Okay? This is God's covenant with Nephi. And his, and his posterity. Okay? Stick to me, and you'll be okay. Don't stick with me, and I will attempt to use the seed of your brother of your you know your, your brethren to get you back on track but if you ultimately don't then you will be in their hands i will have no power to protect you okay it's really cool that we get this understanding in first nephi chapter 2 the second chapter of the book of mormon sets up all of the wars and dissensions and the splinterings and the the heartache that we see between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And ultimately, 
the destruction of the Nephite civilization. It's foreshadowed and promised in this covenant in 1 Nephi chapter 2. Incredible, absolutely incredible that we get this understanding this far in advance. Brothers and sisters, I am grateful for the opportunity I have to be able to dig through the scriptures with you guys. I'm grateful for for the Book of Mormon. I'm grateful for the Book of Mormon because it drives me to learn my Bible. And vice versa. When I know my Bible and I start reading my Bible, I like to look and see what's happening during that time in the Book of Mormon. Understanding the Old Testament helps me to understand what's going through Lehi's mind, what's going through these, like, the symbolism behind these sacrifices that he makes, that these, you know, multiple times that these happen. The Law of Moses plays a critical part in the Book of Mormon. Understanding all these things together arms us to be like Nephi. It gets us in the right mindset to be like Nephi, to understand the importance of prophets, of apostles, of what happens when you listen to the Lord, when you rebel against the Lord. Like, it's, it's incredible what we get here. When we, when we think upon things of, of, you know, when we think celestial, when we think upon things of the better, Holland, I think Holland said that, it just came to me, Holland, Holland said that, Elder Holland, when we think upon the, th the things of a better, all the other stuff that we value, it becomes not so much so valuable anymore, and the words of the prophets, the scriptures, being able to receive instruction from the prophet, from the apostles, ultimately, from Christ, from Jehovah and the Father. Those become the most valuable things in the world. And they become the things that enable us to protect our family. I hope that you have gotten something out of these uh, readings. I hope that that you have received insight. If you guys receive insights that I didn't get, put you know, feel free to put them in the comments if you want. Write them in your scriptures and stuff. You know, share them with others. That's what this is all about. But I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the scriptures. I'm grateful for the chance I have to put my thoughts uh, down on on record. And I am grateful for the opportunity I have to raise my voice in support of the Savior and His plan. As I hope I did in the pre-existence. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.